Thank you for joining me once again on Let's Talk. This is Darren, and on this episode, we are going to be talking about a Christian's relationship to the Old Testament law. Should we still be bound to the Old Testament law? And if not, why not? Welcome to my podcast. I'm Darren Miller. This is episode five, uh, Let's Talk, and we'll be talking about Christ and the Old Testament law. And really beyond Christ and his relationship to the law, really what it comes back to is us as Christians and our relationship to the law. And what is that supposed to look like? So basically the question is this, um, Darren, people will ask me, as Christians, are we supposed to follow the law? And if not, well, why not? You know, after all, you think about the Ten Commandments and it says, okay, don't worship any other gods, don't have any idols. Um, we're still not supposed to do that, right? Like, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't bear false witness. Those are, we're still not supposed to do that. Um, don't covet. Covetousness is, is sin. We're still not supposed to do that. So how can we say that um, we shouldn't be following the law? This is a very common common question, actually. And it also comes with the term, okay, if we don't follow the law, I mean, do we follow some of the laws and not, not others? And, and why not? Why not? Okay. So what I want to point you to first off is in Matthew chapter five, Jesus makes an interesting statement. And this is, this is pretty well known. People sometimes don't understand it when they read it. They make it, make it out to seem like it's saying something else that it's really not. So I want to read to you here in Matthew chapter five, verses uh, 17 through 20. It says, do not think I came to destroy the law or the prophets. Jesus says, I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. So he's saying not even the smallest letter, not even the smallest part of the letter is, is going to go unfulfilled until it is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So um, there have been a lot of people who incorrectly take that to, to, to mean, say, look, the, the law isn't going to pass away till heaven and earth passes away. As long as the, the earth is here, the law is here, and it's, it's important to us. And that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that there is nothing going to stop them from being fulfilled, that he is going to fulfill the law. And he says his purpose for coming is to fulfill the law. And so if Jesus came and did not fulfill the law, well, then he, he failed in his purpose. Uh, but also it shows us that, uh, that 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 was the purpose, that God's command, his Old Testament uh, laws had a purpose, and it was to show us something to fulfill something. So anyways, as we think about the Old Testament law, again, we have the Ten Commandments. We also have about 613 others do's and don'ts um, for the Jewish people. And what I tell people in my own words is we can really summarize the Old Testament law into three categories. First, you have God revealing himself and his character. 
okay, himself and his character. You have the law, like the Ten Commandments, for example, that show who God is. It shows what sin is. It shows what holiness is. It shows what pleases God. And when you go through, when you go through um, the Old Testament in this narrative, you start reading through Genesis and Exodus and Joshua. You you learn about righteousness and unrighteousness, not necessarily because he lists it out, although there are places where he does that. But especially in Genesis, before the law comes, you see how God uh, creates things. You see how God acts. You see what God favors. You see what God does not favor, what he hates or, or comes against. And there is this depiction of who God is in his character. And so we have a God who um, hates uh, lies. He hates theft. He hates murder. He hates idolatry. And so these things show God's character and it becomes a mirror for us. And it shows us how truly wicked and sinful we are. Because when we look at God's law, the first thing we should notice is we cannot fulfill it. In fact, by the time we learn God's law, we've already realized we've spent our whole life breaking it. And so there is this really big problem there. So we have God revealing his character. That's an important re- thing for the law. Um, you also have kind of a, a basic care plan, a health plan for people individually, but also for Israel as a nation. Um, hey, Darren, just a heads up YouTube link you sent is not working. I'm so sorry about that. Uh, that's probably because it's a new link. There is a new link this week, I believe. But um, so for for Israel as a whole, you have things like, you know, why does God call certain animals clean and unclean, right? Um, why are there parts of the law that talk about how to deal with mold and fungus in your house? I mean, these are these are requirements um, from God on how to live. And they're, they're things that set in order basic health and care for Israel. There's even, you know, what do you do if your neighbor, you know, steals your animal or, you know, robs your house? You know, can you kill them if it's nighttime? Can you kill them if it's daytime? And so there are these, there are these legal things and these interpersonal laws that are given to help us, again, understand who God is in that, but also to create a healthy, just environment for ourselves personally, as well as for the nation. So you've got God revealing his character. You've got kind of this basic care plan for his people. Um, And even today, scientists looking at the clean and unclean animals, they see, hey, man, there's very real, uh, very serious benefits to, to eating like this. There's certain parasites and different other things that could come with some of these foods and reasons you would want to eat this and not eat this, especially if, if it wasn't prepared well. So there's there's the wisdom of God is actually manifested in these things. Finally, there is um, God showing his purpose in sanctifying his people. One of God's desires for his people, even today, is to be sanctified. That means set apart, that we should be separate. We should be different from every nation, every every other people group on the earth, because we are supposed to be holy unto the Lord. We are his special people, created for a special purpose, to worship him. And when you think about the instruments used in the temple, Let's say there was a holy ladle, right? And uh, let's say you've got this this uh, gold, pure gold ladle that's only used uh, for worship in the Lord. That thing is set apart. You, you don't use that for, you know, cooking beans and weenies. You don't throw that around. No, you care for that. It is clean. It is used only 
for the worship of God. And a lot of times, even as Christians, we don't understand that, that that's what we are supposed to be. Instruments of righteousness and worship dedicated solely for the use and glorification of God. And so when you look at the, 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 the laws in Israel, um, they, couldn't, they couldn't plant, you know, different types of plants next to each other. Um, they couldn't wear clothing of mixed fabrics, right? They had all of these, these laws and regulations um, that in addition to basic health and wellness, that in addition to justice and showing God's character, it also set them apart. If you went into the land of Israel, they were going to look in every way, they were going to worship in every way completely different than any other nation on the planet, or at least they were supposed to um, <laughs> when they were being obedient. And so the law, even today, as we go back and look at the Old Testament law, is very beneficial for us. Okay, It's very beneficial to understand who God is, what he's doing. Um, but even more than that, you know, the law was to show us our sin, our sin. And it was to show us what sin does. Because when we look at the Old Testament law, if you go read Leviticus 26, I think everybody should have, they should have to read Leviticus 26. It's pretty terrifying. It's like one third of Leviticus 26 is, if you obey all of my commands perfectly and live according to my statutes, I will bless you and multiply you and all your wombs will be open and bear more and your fruits and wine will abound. And then two thirds of the chapter is, but if you disobey me, if you disobey my commands, if you walk contrary to my statutes, he's like, basically, man, I will utterly destroy you and your crops and it's going to be a real bad day. Um, and so go read Leviticus 26. It's pretty, pretty crazy. But the, the whole issue of sin, um, sin separates us from a holy God. And that's very important for us to understand. And so I want to read to you a couple of things and it's going to, might be hard for me to even even find it because there's just so many passages that we could look to. So I want to first, first what I want to do is I want to start in the book of Galatians. So the book of Galatians is very important for this subject. It's basically what I would call the simple gospel. And the book of Galatians is written to help us understand what Christian, what a Christian's relationship with the law is and what righteousness in Christ looks like on the other side of Christ's sacrifice. That's really the, the point of Galatians uh, in a nutshell. And so it gives us um, a lot of things to really hang on to. So listen to this. In Galatians chapter 2, let's see. Let's start in verse 17. No, let's back up. Let's start in verse 16. Galatians 2, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 16. It says, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. And that's Galatians 2, 16. Very, very clearly stated. And so when you look at Jesus and Jesus is saying, hey, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. We have to understand that he was fulfilling it on our behalf. That under the law, we are all condemned. Every single person on the earth for all time 
aside from Christ stands before God con condemned because of our sin. And so Jesus, who was born without sin and who perfectly walked in this earth without sin, he became the, the sacrifice uh, for us, you know, and Another way to look at the law is you've got a more you've got the moral attributes of God, the moral law. You've got the judicial law, which again we already talked about, and you've got the ceremonial law on on what does it mean to be clean and unclean before the Lord. How do we worship? But even Jesus in John chapter four, um, when he is with the Samaritan woman, and she asks him a question about, hey, well you know you Jews say you're supposed to worship there on that mountain and that temple in that certain way, but we say we have our own mountain. And Jesus says, look, lady, <laughs> the day is coming and now is where God is looking for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Spirit and in truth. Now, he didn't go back and go through a bunch of legal systems. No, he said, no, no, no. The day is coming when we will worship in spirit and truth. And the thing that Jesus was promising in the book of John was that the Holy Spirit would be poured out into us and we would have this unbroken communion with the living God himself. Now, how can that be? If sin separates us from God, you think about the Old, the old Testament platform, you've got the temple and as close as you can go in is you can go into the holy place if you're clean, if you're not defiled, if you haven't eaten the wrong thing, if you haven't touched a carcass, if you know, whatever else. If you're a Jew, if you're a Gentile, you can't. If you're a woman, you can't. Um, but even then, you're, you're really not in the presence of God because the presence of God is behind that veil in the Holy of Holies. And no one could go in there except for the high priest. And if anybody did, they would die um, because they're unclean, they're unholy, they're they are coming into the presence of a perfect God in their sin. And so, so there is this issue of how could we have this perfect, unrestrained relationship with God? How could we have the Holy Spirit living in us as temples if the law says I'm, I'm condemned under the law of sin, right? And so we have to understand that what Jesus was fulfilling is Jesus, um, he came and he fulfilled the moral law of God with his life. Jesus never broke the commandment of, of God. He never sinned. He never trespassed. And in his life and in his preaching and his teaching, he fulfilled God's perfect moral law. And, and really, you know, when you look at Matthew chapter six, Jesus, or I'm sorry, chapter five, Jesus is everything he says is an Old Testament quote. And he's saying like, hey, you think you know the law. You think you understand God's ways. Let me explain to you what God's ways really look like. And that's what he's doing in Matthew chapter 5. And one of the things he said in the passage we read at the end was, if your righteousness, your own works, your own ability to fulfill God's law does not surpass the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of God. What? The scribes and the Pharisees, they were the epitome of law keepers. They tithed even of their mint and cumin. Like, they, out of all the people on earth, they were the ones that were getting it right, seemingly. But Jesus says, no, if you want to be righteous, if you want to enter my kingdom based on your righteousness, you have to be even more righteous than they and at that moment, we understand it becomes impossible. And then at the end of Matthew 5, he says, therefore, be 
perfect just as your heavenly father is perfect. Well, man, I thought the whole issue of like sin and the law is that I'm not perfect, you know, and, and that is the problem. So let's see, if we go back to Galatians here, again, it says that for by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. And so that's what all this boils down to is how can we be right with God? How can we have communion and relationship with God? Um, in verse 17 of Galatians 2, it says, but if we, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are also found sinners. Is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. Transgressor. For I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. If there is any way that the law could, could do anything for us as it, as it is for righteousness, then what would Jesus coming, why would it be necessary you know, um, because that's what he came to do to fulfill the law. And as he said, he would fulfill these things. Like I said, in his life, he fulfilled the moral law. Well, being the sacrifice offered, being the lamb of God, being a perfect and without blemish on the cross, his death actually fulfilled the ceremonial, the, the, um, the Levitical side of the law. And, you know, in John 19, in verses 28 through 30, it even states that just as Jesus had already said in Matthew 5, I came to fulfill the law, not to do away with it. In John 19, as he's on the cross in verse 28, it says this. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. And then in verse 30, it says, so when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Well, what is finished? If he said he came to fulfill the law, here it says that he understood that his he had accomplished all things that he had been sent to accomplish. And on the cross, he's crying out, it is finished. The work is done. I mean, what is it that he seems to be saying? The Greek word there is tetelestai, paid in full. The, the debt that we owed to God in our sins and unrighteousness, all of those things that the law came to show us, Jesus has now fulfilled in himself. And, you know, even with that, we we might say, okay, well, Jesus fulfilled the law, but, you know, what about us? Because we're not Jesus. Well, in Colossians 2, it tells us, uh, Colossians 2 starting in verse 11. It talks about our relationship to the law. And it says, In Christ you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. Not a work of, of man, but a work of God, basically. By putting off the body of sins of the flesh. That's what circumcision is supposed to be. Even in the Old Testament, it says that God desires the circumcision of the heart. So by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith 
in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So let no one judge you in food or drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility, worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. And so here's this, here, here's what he's saying here. He's saying that we have died to the law, that we were bound under the law, but that when we are, are baptized and come up out of that water, it's that picture of dying to that and coming up to a new master, not, not slaves to sin, but slaves to righteousness. That Christ's work is done once and for all for us. That all of those things that, that made us sinners, our own sins, the things that separated us from God, the whole reason that there were all of these laws and requirements, that there were the, the sacrifices, all these things that could not take away our sin, but simply covered them for a time, Jesus has fulfilled once and for all in his death and resurrection. So that as it, again, as it said, um, that he has forgiven in verse 13, forgiven you all trespasses. And he's wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us. He's wiped it out. It's done. Now, is that, is that contrary? Did Jesus say he did not come to abolish the law? Well, he's not abolishing it. He is fulfilling it. It is completed its purpose. Um, and so Jesus can rightly um, come and have relationship with us. The Holy Spirit can freely dwell within us that we become the temples of God. The veil of the Holy of Holies was torn when Jesus died on the cross. And we become the temples of God where God dwells. And there is no longer any reason for separation, because not because we have been perfected in our own performance, but because of the fact that we could not be in Jesus perfected the work of God for us. And so now having paid that penalty, we are free to commune with him and nothing uh, that, that can, that we can do or produce or come against us can separate that from us. We have been sealed with the Holy spirit of promise. And so even, even our sins of, of today or tomorrow, let's say uh, we were to backslide, we were to, to struggle and fall into something. Those have already been paid for. If Christ's death on the cross over you know, 2,000 years ago wasn't enough to pay for all sins, even future, well, then his payment didn't mean anything for us. He would have to die again and again and again, or at the very least, wait until the end of time and then die. to come. No, it was sufficient for all sins of all men of all time. And so what about the law then? So what, what was the purpose of the law? Well, we find out, let's see where I am here, in Hebrews 
No, wait. Let's go back to... Actually, let's go back to Galatians. In Galatians chapter 3, it says in verse 19, What purpose then does the law serve? So that's a good question. It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. So that's the thing. There, The law came to show us how sinful we really are. Well, let's start back in verse 21. Is the law then against the promise of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given, which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has confined all under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Listen to that. The promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for faith. So the law was keeping us under guard to give us an understanding of sin, but it even says that it was keeping us for faith in the work that was to be done, uh, and for us, which has now been done, uh, kept forth the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. What is it saying? He's saying the, the, the purpose of the law has been fulfilled, but now that God has paid our way, now that our sin and debt is done away with, of course, to understand the gospel, we have to understand our, our guilt before God. And now that he has made that payment in that way, the, the purpose of a tutor is, is void now. It's been fulfilled. For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For as many as you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And um, that's really what it, that's really what it boils down to. So, by the way, as we are uh, talking, um, this is live, and so you can feel free to add comments and questions. I'll see them and I'll be able to address them. I've got one from Caden. Um, it says, for the question and answer section, what are your thoughts on being judged by your own conscience to sin and being held to the standard of judgment and according to how you judge others? Okay. Well, he says he's going to have to go for now. So I will get back to that question at the end. So feel free. Uh, we will have a little bit of time at the end to address more questions. Uh, but if you have them now, please, please shoot them up there. So what is our relationship as Christians to the law? Well, our relationships as Christians to the law is to, is to understand who God is in it. It's to understand what the purpose of the law was, which was to condemn us. That was the purpose of the law, to show that God is holy, that we are not. And that without the grace of God, without a perfect sacrifice coming, we would be condemned. I mean, we would have uh, no hope really at all. And so it says in Galatians chapter 5, talking about being freed from the law, talking about living in the, the power of the Spirit and in the love of God that's been provided for us. It says, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free and do not be entangled again with the yoke 
of bondage. And so that yoke of bondage is, is the law. And so here's the thing. So if we were to say that um, as Christians, even though Christ has died, even though he has fulfilled the Father's work, that somehow we still have to keep the law, I mean, what are we saying? Are we saying that his sacrifice wasn't good enough? Are we saying that somehow our works can be good enough? Um, is it is it the blood of Jesus plus works? Because the blood of Jesus plus works is not the gospel. That's completely contrary to the gospel. And in fact, for all of my, my viewers or listeners, um, if you have not yet seen it, I recommend that everybody... Uh, look up, look it up on Netflix. I don't know if it's available elsewhere, but it's called The American Gospel. The American Gospel. It's an it's an amazing movie. There's really only one little part in there, but I don't think they do a real good job of clarifying some things. But other than that, it's it's a great movie and it explains the gospel very very well. And it shows the the error of of many people and and uh, theologies that try to add to the perfect work of Christ as if somehow it was not enough. And here in the same chapter in Galatians 5, uh, Paul basically makes the statement um, that if you somehow try to add to the gospel, he uses this phrase that says, you have fallen from grace. You've fallen from, now is he saying you've lost your salvation? No, what he's saying is you've, grace is, is a work of God that's given to you. And so if you're somehow trying to say, well, I have to earn it, well, you're doing away with grace together. And then you're putting yourself under the whole weight of the law and its requirements. And guys, that's not a place we want to be. That's where humanity was before Jesus came. So if Jesus came and humanity is left in the same spot, well, then truly his sacrifice was for nothing. So I want to read this to you in Galatians uh, chapter 5. He says, I indeed, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace, for we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. So here's here's the thing here. If someone was to say, and people do say this, and I've I've got friends who have believed this, I've got friends that do believe this. I've got a a brother who, you know, has thoughts and feelings about the law. And, and here's what it comes down to. If you are going to say that because of the law, we can't eat pork, that somehow us not eating pork is pleasing to God and makes us, you know, in better standing with him, or that we're still under... You know, really, really any of those of those um, requirements that are that are aside from God showing himself. So obviously, like I said, um, we are not free in the law of Christ to commit murder, to commit adultery, because those things are sin. Those things are contrary to God and his nature. And so any, any part that shows um, to us what sin is, we we can't cross that line in, in the name of freedom. But as far as the sacrifices and the requirements and all these and all these things, like Jesus has made all things clean. He has made us, the Gentiles, who were not clean by nature, clean. 
he has fulfilled that work. And if we're going to go back to the law, if we're going to try to be justified by the law, well, then, hey, you have to make sure that, you know, you can't wear clothings of, of mixed fabric. Otherwise, you're breaking the law. You know what I mean? You can't, um, you know, if, if you're going to say that you, you have to eat kosher, well, then you have to keep all of the law. The scripture tells us plainly that if we break one law of the Old Testament, we've broken it all. We've broken all of it. And so vice versa, if we're going to uphold it, we have to uphold all of it. And so when we go back to the issue of covetousness, for example, um, if, if, if we pride ourselves in not eating pork, but we covet things in our heart, and here's the thing, being in Christ, being born again in the Spirit of God doesn't suddenly make us impervious to sin and temptation, doesn't, doesn't stop us instantly from, from lusting or from coveting. It, it gives us the power in the Holy Spirit to overcome those things, to not choose those things. But when we do fall, I mean, just, just one act of that completely violates any type of righteousness that we would have in ourselves. And so the whole point of the law is to show us how hopeless that it, it truly, truly is. Um, and so the whole point that Paul is making, and when he says that if you become circumcised, that doesn't mean that oh, somehow any child who was circumcised, that they are, you know, not able to be under grace. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is if you are circumcised, if you are, if you are trying to uphold the law for the sake of righteousness before God, that's what he's saying, then Christ will profit you nothing. It's either all the law perfectly, which only leaves us with condemnation, or it's all the fullness and power and perfect work of Christ plus nothing. Because even if we tried to uphold the law, we would fail. Even if we tried to live perfectly, we are failing. That is why the gospel is so important, that Jesus Christ died to do away with our sin once and for all, to overcome the things that we were powerless to overcome and to give us new life in the spirit. And so it's, you know, it's really interesting if you think about it this way. Um, Jesus was the one guy who he could touch the unclean and he was not made unclean. He was not defiled by those things. He, he would touch an unclean person and they would be healed of their uncleanness. And, and what does it mean to be unclean? Uh, it's, you know, clean and unclean are like holy and unholy. It determines rather or not we're useful to God in worship, rather or not we can be a part of his, his people, a part of his, um, um, like I said, worship. And so the Holy Spirit living in us, we have become clean. Jesus even told his disciples in the upper room that you are already clean because of the words that I have spoken to you, you know? And so it's faith in Christ and faith in Christ alone that justifies us and justifies us fully, fully, fully. And again, the whole book of Galatians is addressing, um, addressing this point. So here's one other issue that comes in. It's very interesting that when, Somebody really holds to a pure gospel, that it's Christ plus nothing, that it is um, per obedience to, to his word, that we're going we're gonna to shape our lives around uh, the words of Jesus, the New Testament, that we're going to let the Holy Spirit lead us, and that we're not, going to, we're not going to fall back into dead works of the law, 
and we're not going to excuse sin, that there's there's this place when we truly hold to the gospel, um, persecution comes. Persecution definitely comes. It comes from other people um, in the world. It comes from people, other people in the church that don't have those same views. Um, but if we are to compromise even a little bit about the gospel, if we are to compromise and start trying to produce some some work of righteousness, if we were to compromise on the authenticity of the word and the commands in the New Testament, anywhere we compromise, what happens is that that persecution ceases because what we're in is we're in a spiritual battle. It, it's not flesh and blood that we wrestle against. And so Paul here um, in Galatians 5, where to go here? In verse 11 says, And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, basically if I still preach the works of the law, that's what he's getting at, why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. The offense of the cross has ceased. See, the scripture says that the cross is um, foolishness to the world, to the Greeks, and it's a stumbling block to the Jews. And so the cross is either going to save us and draw us near to God, or it's going to push us away from him. Um, that is what the gospel does. It divides, right? And so now we are free from the law so that, as he says in verse 16, that if we walk in the spirit, we shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And so that's, that is the key here being, um, freed from the law is that we have now also been God given God's spirit, which empowers us to walk in a way that is instead of contrary to God, like our flesh does, that's contrary to our flesh. That's contrary to the sin. The spirit of God inside us enables us to discern between clean and unclean, to, to understand what God uh, likes and doesn't like to, to have communion with him, to be led by him, to walk in freedom from sin and death. We have died and been buried to the law, and we now live in Christ Jesus. Um, and in 1 John, let me pull this up real quick. 1 John chapter 2, it says, <clears throat> These things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. And so the work of Christ was he is, um, he is the substitute and he is the fulfillment for our sins. That when he did that work, that it covered us. And in Hebrews chapter 10, it talks about in verse 8, uh, about the old covenant versus the new covenant previously saying, sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offering for sin, you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them. Then he said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. By that, we, uh, by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. So two, two very important things there, um, that when Jesus came, he did away with the first, talking about the first covenant, the Mosaic covenant, to bring about the second, which is the new covenant. And if you go back to my podcast on the gospel, I, I discussed the new covenant, but he, he is establishing something that is greater 
that, that the old things had to go away so that the new could come and that we are sanctified in the body of Christ once and for all. That is what the scripture teaches. Okay. One last scripture here, and then we're going to go into questions. In Romans 8, verses 3 through 4, it says very plainly, For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And, you know, there it is, guys. That is the bottom line. Um, I'm going to clear out my browser here because there's a lot going on at the top. But Jesus' work, he was the only one that could uphold those things. He was the only one who could look at the law and have some standard of righteousness for himself in it. As we read, that by the works of the law, by the works of the flesh, no man is justified. We had to die to that and be raised again with Christ through baptism, through the saving faith of Jesus, to understand that truly his work and only his work was enough for us to be freed from sin, freed from judgment, and to have an everlasting relationship with the Father. Okay, so if anybody has questions, we're going to take the last little bit of time to address those. Um, let's bring up Caden Thalman's again. For the question and answer section, what are your thoughts on being judged by your own conscience to sin? and being held to the standard of judgment and according to how you judge others. Okay, so I think those are actually two different issues. The, the first one, what are your thoughts on being judged by your own conscience to sin? So the scripture does say for anybody who knows to do right and does not do it, um, to him it is sin. It also tells us that if... If somebody, even though we have freedom, um, we have freedom to to eat pork, if that's what you want to do. I like bacon. I don't really like pork chops. Pork's not my thing. I don't like ham, but, you know, I get down some bacon. And knowing that we have freedom, that if somebody is weak in faith, and to them, it, it would be to their conscience because of their lack of understanding, because they don't grasp uh, the, the work of Christ yet— if we cause them to stumble against their conscience, because in their mind, they are they are acting against God, even though they're really not per se, that in their mind, that is a trespass. And so knowingly trespassing, knowingly doing something that they think is contrary to God, well, that willful or that seemingly willful disobedience of the heart is sin because it's, it's an acknowledging something that would not put you right with the Lord and doing it anyways. And that's what sin is. And so for us, um, you know, if somebody, if somebody is, you know, not partaking in a certain thing, um, maybe they, they don't touch alcohol at all for any reason. Maybe they do eat kosher. Maybe they, they want to celebrate the Sabbath and they want to rest, uh, from Friday sundown to Saturday sundown, you know what I mean? For us to to hinder them in that, you know, could be an issue for them. However, 
don't let anybody mistakenly tell you that we should leave them in that sense. Again, the scriptures talk about them being weak in faith and that we should accept those who are weak in faith. However, we're also command, commanded to teach and to observe all the commands of Christ. And so um, for someone in that place, there would be an appropriate time to take them through the scriptures and to try to help them gain uh, a better understanding of what Christ has done in his righteousness. So they're not in bondage to that. And I've, I've been blessed with the opportunity to do that with many people. However, the second part of that question is, it seems, um, it says, and being held to the standard of judgment according to how you judge others. That, that sounds like to me, and I wish he was still on. He said he had to go. That sounds like to me what he's really asking is in, re- in reference to Matthew 7, where to by whatever standard we judge, we will also be judged. And so I think that just goes to understand that, you know, the gospel, to really understand the gospel is to understand that we, we are, we are all unrighteous before the Lord. You know, we all needed his work. We all needed his power. We all needed his saving grace. And to, and to look at somebody and to judge them, you know, unrighteously because they don't fit maybe your standard or because you see them as not walking in, in the way that you walk. You know what I mean? Well, if you're going to, if you're going to judge him, it says in, in Romans chapter two, that you who say who don't not to murder, well, do you steal? Well, and if you steal, you know, what difference is there than murdering? I mean, if you, if you break one law, you you've broken them all. And so there's this kind of self-righteous standard that we can have sometimes that all that really does is put judgment on us. Because again, the whole point of this, the whole point of our conversation on the law and the whole point of, of Matthew 7 even is, is if we are going to make ourselves righteous by our own works, then we're going to have to uphold that righteousness perfectly by our own works. Because if we miss righteousness on even one point, we're completely unrighteous. And that's why it is the work of Christ being imputed in us. It's his perfect Holy Spirit inside of us that makes us holy. It's us being in Christ that makes us right with God through faith. Okay, so we've got a little bit of time um, for some other questions. If anybody would like to chime in. Otherwise, we will be logging off here very soon. Also, you can follow me. My podcast is on Spotify. It's on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, etc. It's also, you know, live streamed here on Facebook and on YouTube, on Periscope. Um, on the weeks that I preach regularly at my church, which will be coming up again soon, I'll be doing another series. I will not be going live. I will just be uploading the, the audio on those. Um, but please, please find me on your favorite podcast outlet. I don't know how to say that provider and follow me there. Um, also you can text me at one, two, one, zero, three, six, one, nine, five, seven, six. Again, that's one, two, one, zero, three, six, one, nine, five, seven, six. Um, and I do respond to text. If you have any prayer requests, I'd love to pray for you. If you have any questions about the Bible, I'd love to answer them. I've got a friend of mine who lives about an hour and a half away who's who's been messaging me questions on, on Facebook and take the time to answer them to the best of my ability. And so uh, also, if you text me at that number, I will be sending you just some very short updates on the ministry that we do, let you know when we're going live, answering questions, so on and so forth. So... 
Um, all right, I'm not seeing any more questions. So thank you guys so much for joining me here on Let's Talk episode five. And I hope to see you next time. God bless.